You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah youths. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, the running Utes split at home against the Arizona schools. And they're headed up to Washington to face the Huskies and the Cougars this week. I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. Hey, you nation. And we got Scott. How we doing? So I said to open up the podcast, Utah splits at home. They get a win over Arizona, which, heck, any time you can beat the Wildcats and Sean Miller, it's always great, even though they've dropped, what, seven or eight in a row now. It feels good to at least send you of pay out of the huntsman with the loss it's one of those it's kind of a hollow win because just like you just mentioned they're, they're a shell of what of what they typically are and uh, but it's still good to beat sean miller and, and beat arizona anytime you can really it's our only second win against arizona since we joined the conference so you got to take them any way you can get them but uh um it was a good start, a good start to the homestands. Unfortunately, it didn't, uh, it did not bear uh, as well uh, come Saturday night. So one bright spot with the team right now, Parker Van Dyke. Scott, I know he's your boy, and you've been yeah, pumping buddy. him up for four <laughs> years now. <laughs> but honestly, I mean... Well, you know, I I didn't start the... the I'm not the president of this bank, club for nothing, folks. <laughs> The last three games, he's 15 of 27 from three, uh, 56%. That That's remarkable. I don't care who you are or, or where you're playing. If you can hit 56% from three over three games, that's phenomenal. He did against Arizona. He did go seven of 10, uh, just one shy of tying uh, Johnny Bryant's record of eight in a game for the Utes. But now we kind of see, especially in that second half with ASU, they played him tight and he talked about how they didn't leave him at all i'll kind of throw this out to you guys maybe ryan if you want to go first on this one what can parker van dyke do now that teams are starting to notice that he is a threat at the three-point line i was at the uh asu game and uh he got hot there in the first half but then it looks like asu did some things to quiet him down in the second half i think uh um, you saw in the first half, he hit a couple of open threes and then he, they ran out at him and he drove the basket and got a couple of layups, uh, which he probably needs to, you know, continue to do both inside and out. But yeah, Arizona state's defense is really in the second half, uh, did a good job of kind of shutting him down. And I think you probably see the rest of the season teams try to duplicate what they did. Cause he didn't get a lot of shots in the second half. Well, you know, and Parker, I mean, he's been known as a shooter, you know, his whole career. Obviously, he hasn't been shooting it to the level that he has as of late. But, uh, you know, he Larry Larry put him on the bench. Um, and in doing so, that kind of gives you an opportunity to come in and, and really compete uh, at times against the, the bench guys for, your, for your, against your opponent. So that can that can help a little bit. But when you're shooting at the clip that he's currently shooting at, he he's the focal point of this of of the defense at this point. They're not letting him get many shots off. And you can tell at that Arizona game, after it seemed like almost every three he made, Sean Miller was 
upset and calling timeouts because they did not want him getting open looks. And he continued to get them, and he continued to make them. But you didn't you didn't get those same opportunities against ASU. So, you know, he's going to have to get creative. He's going to have to just continue to move without the ball and rely on his teammates to, to make good passes and get him some shots. But at the same time, it's unrealistic to expect that he's going to be able to continue shooting at this at this clip. He needs a little bit of help, and that's I think that's where Cedric Fairfield comes into play because he has been he has not been playing too well, especially on these last two home games on the homestand um, against Arizona and Arizona State. He is eight of twenty seven in those last two games, just not looking very confident, not looking making great decisions, and just. Just can't he can't buy a bucket at the moment. So I think that's the key is getting some help from some other guys to to free up Parker a little bit. And Scott, I think that's a great point of, of getting other guys that can kind of take that pressure off uh, to get Parker those open looks. You know, one guy I think that can do that is maybe a Jace Johnson, and we've kind of seen, you know, he he go he plays up and down kind of all season. Uh, as of late, he he has been playing better. Uh, it's kind of been Parker and, and, and Jace the last couple games. Uh, but Jace's problem is he can't stop fouling, and he'll get one or two early fouls in the first half, and Larry will sit him the whole first half if he gets that second foul. So if you take those two guys, Johnson and Parker, uh, Scott, you mentioned Bearfield, who else do you guys think needs to kind of step up and raise their game to kind of keep Utah afloat and not let them be so streaky? What really hurt the Utes in the ASU game was the injuries that uh, Gotch uh, sustained in the first half. I mean, I think he's a he's a weapon offensively to have that, and uh, he he's come on a little bit here in the latter part of the season. And if if he can uh, get back to get back on the floor, which he did at the end of the game, um, maybe seemed a little. Maybe there was a little bit of desperation bringing him back in there towards the end of the game, but I think he'd be he'll be a huge uh, factor down the stretch if they can if he can get going. Well, two two that stand out to me are one the the referees. They are. I, I can't believe you're going there, Scott. No, no, <laughs> they are they are uh, they are absolutely abysmal. You watch them call these games. And the, the fouls that they're calling, the sheer amount of fouls that they're calling, is nearly impossible to get a flow. You have to have so much depth because everybody's in foul trouble by halftime. And they're killing the game. It's ridiculous to watch. When that ASU game, 31 fouls called in the second half alone. Yeah, the second half lasted out. nearly two hours. Yeah. And it, it's, it's ridiculous how, how they're calling games. And, and how they just completely ruin rhythms um, for these teams and, and it totally affects substitute, uh, substitution patterns and how these coaches are going about these games. And it's definitely hurting Utah a little bit. And it's not just against Utah. I, I, I fully recognize, you know, every team in this conference and in this West Coast is experiencing the same thing. But, but it's definitely taken a toll on Utah. Um, but, you know... We do have uh, Brandon Morley, who's kind of come out of nowhere and just seven footers, just green and three. He's got three in his last two games. So he's a secret weapon moving forward. Uh, 
one guy who's who's playing really well and he's kind of as a as a freshman here is really I think he's a, just almost the core of this team is is Timmy Allen. I mean, he, he does so many things well for a true freshman. When he's out there, he affects the game so many different ways. Um, and he can post up, he can he can rebound, he can offensive rebound. He's good down low. He's a good passer. Um, his shot's a little a little itchy still, and, and there's really is kind of non-existent from the three-point line. He's not much of a threat, but he's doing so many things well. He's in a lot of ways he's almost overshadowed. I think a little bit Donnie Tillman, and uh, kind of playing a similar role that Tillman has played in the past, but. Tillman has been up and down this season. He's been great in moments and not in others. And uh, but but I, I love what Timmy Allen is doing, and I think he's a big key of why the youth have been playing at a pretty high level over these uh, last several weeks. I will agree that that Timmy Allen. It seems like he doesn't have an outside shot at all, and I think he knows that, and he doesn't force bad shots, and he drives and he tries to get more of those easier baskets uh, around the hoop. Uh, after the ASU game, Larry did say that he does have a back injury. Uh, so even like hats off to him for being a freshman and playing through injury when we all know there's guys around the country that, you know, they might have a little soreness in their ankle and they'll completely sit out as long as they can. Yeah, and I mean he's he's going to need to ultimately over time develop that that jump shot because teams they they scout it when he gets the ball on the wing he either passes it or he drives and they're just they're just playing off which is making it really hard for him to get in the lane and and actually um, get past his man and and create so hopefully this off season he just lives in the gym and can kind of develop that that shot because he could be a he could be a huge weapon if he could develop a consistent outside shot that would just uh, go so go so well with his game and what he already does so well. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, this, this young core of freshmen, they, they are playing well, and uh, they're adding a lot. Obviously, Parker Van Dyke, which we've talked about, and even Jace Johnson, those two really are kind of the, the leaders, and, and at least at the moment, are really providing the uh, the constant uh, offensive threat, but this these young freshmen they they make things exciting for the future and what's coming about um, because they can pl- they can play ball um, and and we're and we're seeing them develop from from early on in the season to this point. For some of these guys, it's night and day difference what they're doing and and just how comfortable they look out there. Well, it seems like they're finally playing like a team as of late. Uh, and I, I'm with a lot of new faces and a lot of guys that are new to college basketball and new to the Utah program. I think that just took time for them to kind of gel and mesh on the court. Um, but it is refreshing to, to really see them play team ball as of late. Are they perfect? No. There's things they still need to clean up. You know, beginning of games, they've been terrible. I mean, let's, let's well, not cut ourselves. De- on the defensive side of the ball, they've been terrible. I mean, Offensively, this is this is probably one of the better offensive teams Larry's had here. And who, I mean, realistically, you look at that roster, you wouldn't have thought that we would just be an offensive, high efficient team like like we have been. Against ASU, scoring the ball was not an issue. 
80 plus points put up on the board, but we could not stop ASU at all. They were getting look after look at the rim, dunks, everything in the paint was just absolutely destroying us. And, and that's where I think this team is. Yes, they're young and uh, really strong offensively, but they've got to show, they've got to get some improvement on that defensive side because next year, you're without Barefield, you're without Van Dyke, you're you're, you're without two of your best uh, scorers and perimeter shooters. So that offense may take a step back next year, which is where they have got to figure some things out defensively. And it's a little surprising because Larry's Larry has been known as a defensive guy. He gets his guys to play defense, play well, and and in the past the offense has just been good enough where it's almost the complete opposite this year. The defense is, is non-existent and, and really good offense. But that's one side of the ball that I, I'm really surprised at this point in the season they're still struggling like they are. Well, I think the one thing that stood out to me in that uh, ASU game is, well, two things actually. The ASU's team overall was a lot more is a lot more athletic than the youth. And it showed, and they were more physical. They they won the 50-50 balls. They they were hustling. It seemed more than than Utah was, and uh, got got a bunch of offensive rebounds. And, and you're right, the Utes the Utes shot the ball well, and and had an opportunity to stay in that game. What really failed them was their foul shooting. I mean, 13 missed free throws was. Was re- it was really pathetic in a in a ten point game. Yeah, from free free throws continue to be an issue, and and uh, I mean just the, the thing that sticks out to me is that interior defense. <laughs> it's so it is so bad. You know they've they've got to figure out a way. And, and I know we've got a couple of seven footers coming in next year that'll play alongside Chase, and and most importantly, uh, Lahat uh, soon. Um, who is redshirting this year? He, he will be a he will be a defensive force and a shot blocker next year, and that'll help. Um, but the, none of that help will come until next season. So they've they've got to find a way if they want to still end up in one of the top four seeds for the the conference tournament. They've got to find a way over these next handful of games to start playing better defense um, because. As you know, we're kind of living and dying by the three at the moment, which is which has worked out well. But you you've got to play a higher level of defense because otherwise, even with the top four seed, you can still be down in game number one if you can't stop anybody. And to that point, Scott. So right now, as we're recording this, the Utes are in fourth place in the Pac-12. They're only a half a game um, at a second place. Uh, it's the Oregon State Beavers that are in second right now. So we're traveling up to up to Seattle to play Washington Huskies on Wednesday and then the Washington State Cougars on Saturday. Washington has been the best team in the conference um, this season. However, you know, they, they did lose their first game to ASU and then they struggled this past weekend and just barely pulled out a win um, over Washington State towards the end. Where do you guys find success for Utah on this road trip? Do they have to sweep it? Is it, or would it, would a success be at least a split? Where are you guys sitting on this? I I, I think a split is 
kind of best case scenario. I don't see us, even though we have played well on the road um, so far this season, going up to Washington and beating them when they have not lost at home. Um, and they're just a tough matchup for us. They're big, they're long, they play that zone. And unless, unless you can break it, hit shots consistently throughout the game, it's getting tough. I just don't. I don't think our chances are all that great against Washington. And the other part is Washington State has been playing some of the best ball in the conference, which I don't know where that came from. They were absolutely abysmal to start this season, so I'm really surprised at how well they're playing. But uh, they went down to the Arizona road trip, swept both Arizona teams by double digits. They almost beat Washington the other night. They are playing extremely well. So I, I think a split is best-case scenario, um, and you just you just better hope you don't get swept. Yeah, I think as well as they have been playing on the road, that going in for the sweep is, is really just too much to ask. I think a, a, a split would be great, uh, but it's going to be tough. Both both games are, are going to be tough. Um, so you, you kind of hope at this point that they, that they get a split. At least that's what I'm thinking. I definitely agree where you guys are going from. Like I said, Washington has been the best team uh, in, in the league this year. I don't see them dropping uh, a home game. Uh, and But Utah's really got to stop these slow starts, and they really need to step up their defense. Otherwise, they, I mean, I know Larry wants of first round by in Las Vegas, but unless they can shore those things up down the home stretch, I I see I could see them falling um, out of fourth place and having to play an early game in Las Vegas. If you get swept this weekend, it's uh, it's putting a lot of pressure on the remaining games that you have to you have to win a majority uh, to hope for one of those top four spots. So you know, obviously at this point. The season is on the line with the conference tournament. That's kind of that's kind of what you're playing for at this moment. Otherwise, probably a CTI tournament bid, which nobody, including the parents of these players, cares about. So you you get you got to position yourself as best possible for the conference tournament. Hopefully, you can make a run. But uh, yeah, I, I think a split is is absolutely pivotal to keep to keep their hopes alive for one of those um, one of those. Uh, uh, top four spots. All right. So, and then also in news this week, it was uh, emailed out to season ticket holders of the increase in football season tickets. I kind of got some sticker shock uh, with the price increase uh, and, and with the donation increase and the Ricycle Stadium facility fee increase. What were your guys' initial thoughts when you, when you saw that email from? Uh, from Mark Harlan. I think it was inevitable eventually. I mean, for those of us that sit in the north end zone, we've kind of lucked out over the last several years not having to pay any any fees to sit over there. And uh, I think with the, the announcement of the expansion uh, recently and, and just the increase from year to year of ticket prices, it was inevitable that it was coming. It kind of it kind of stinks, but I mean, fifty bucks a seat for the entire season. When you look at it, it's not a, it's not huge, but not great either. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't see it much. I mean, to be honest, every year uh, when that uh, when that bill comes due, I kind of just expect that it's going to be higher than it was the year before. It's the trend. It's how things are. I mean, everything doesn't matter whether it's football tickets or whatever it is. Everything around us keeps getting more and more expensive. But the thing, the thing about it is, we're still kind of middle of the pack as far as average price um, on tickets. So I don't think, I don't think, you know, the athletic department—they're not gouging you fans. Um, and in, in, a, in a lot of ways, I kind of like it because Utah football is just continuing to grow, and 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 football is the main. It, it's it's really the most important sport at the moment. It's where our most success is coming from. And I like seeing that. I like that they're investing in, you know, obviously two years down the road, we're going to have the expansion with the South End Zone and what that's going to add just to the overall experience and atmosphere of, of game days. Um, but, but I think overall, that's what programs that are growing and uh, progressing, that's what they need to do and that's what they do do is continue, you know, things just get more expensive, and that's what they have to do to compete at a high level. Um, and 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 if you are a season ticket holder, don't forget, you you're, we're getting an extra game this year compared to last, last mm-hmm. uh, season. So we do have seven home games. So overall, um, it's really not a huge increase based off of, off of that alone. But if, if, if you're not liking it, uh, Buckle up because I don't see it stopping any. When you look at it from from Utah's perspective, I mean, just from a straight business perspective, it makes sense because the demand over the last several years has been so high. Why not take advantage of it? Uh, because you know people want to be there, so make them pay to be there. I mean, that's business. Well, it is, and I mean, you, you, on social media. You know, you see some fans' frustration, and I get it, right? We all live off budgets and certain point, you know, we could get priced out of things. But if 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 you're going to give up your tickets based off of this off of these increases, there's about uh, oh thousands of people that are waiting in line. Um, I'm not even on a season ticket holder list. I've got season tickets, and I'll buy anybody else's off of them because not only is it a good investment. But with just what you said, Ryan, there's demand. And when there's demand, you're going to be able to sell those tickets even if you don't end up sitting in them um, for every game or, or whatnot. So it's it's thriving. Utah football is, is on fire at the moment. So you got to embrace it while you can and continue to grow this thing and take advantage of being able to expand the stadium so that you have a wonderful experience for really generations to come. So I think I have a completely different perspective on this from you guys. I mean, obviously I completely agree that supply and demand, there's a a demand there. Utah can set whatever price they want and people are still willing to pay for it. This is where I kind of get a little frustrated with it. If you look at the numbers, going back to 2016, tickets are up. 25%. 25%. That's a that's a huge increase. You look at the north end zone uh, where we sit, it's 83% increase since 2016. If you look at 2017 when there were seven home games, the average increase is 15%. I don't 
to me, that's just a, that's, that's a big jump. That's a big jump. And I, obviously I'm going to pay for it. I mean, the three of us, we're going to pay for it. Uh, we love it. That's, you know, I, I'm worried about people that are going to get priced out that, that can't afford it. Or, and, and then with these increases, I'm going to probably pull back other money, like spending money at the concessions at the football games. Uh, other donations to the university probably will pull from that. So that's where I, I, I'm, I understand it, where they're coming from. And I also think, and I don't care, I, I think the university is lying when they say that they're the average in the league. Because they're only basing it solely off ticket price. They're not including any of the extra things they're throwing in, like the Crimson Club, the facility fee, the transaction fee. You go look at Oregon, they don't have requirements for their Crimson Club, or whatever they call it up there. They're the Duck Club. The Duck Duck Club, Cam. Is that what it is? (laughs) The Quack Attack Club. I don't know what they are. But they don't have that requirement uh, for the, quote-unquote, the cheaper seat. Like I think it was like but the see, the five yeah. the five cheaper seats. They don't have that requirement, so that's my own. That's but, but my one, that's my problem with it. Yes, I, I one understand. One thing you're not taking to... into account. One thing you're not taking into account in this is you, you are now the fact that you sit in the north end zone. You're now a Crimson Club member, so you you're, you're getting a free like tracks pass. <laughs> <laughs> Go UTA. <laughs> I mean that right there. The value in that is, is it's hard to it's hard to count. It's just got a lot of value in that. And so, obviously, at the end of the day, just being a Crimson Club member and getting a sticker to put in your windshield or on the back of your back of your window, that right there, it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I know I'm just I'm being the grumpy old man um, that's complaining about the prices. I mean, what you said, it's going to happen. It's going to happen next year and the year after that. The games aren't in the afternoon anymore. <laughs> I, I totally get it. I just, I think the way they're doing it, I don't really like. And I worry about the people that have been going for many years that are going to get priced out. Um, I would also like to see, and maybe this is me just being complaining season ticket holder, but I would like to see a little bit more for what we, for what we give. And I don't know if that's I mean, like, more like... Like a hawk, a hawk that, that doesn't fly off into oblivion? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, just dumb things like uh, a coupons at the concession stands, you know, buy one drink, get one free or something like that. Just, just little things that kind of help ease the pain of tickets going up he's 80, 83%. <laughs> I think we need to bring Fernando back on to help. Cam Cam needs some some healing. <laughs> I mean, it no, all is no so. I mean, you have a point, Cam, and I think the the you standpoint. I see why they're doing it, but at the same time, if they're not careful, they will price people out because in those numbers you threw out there, how many of us in the last two years have had a fifteen percent increase in our wages? Uh, probably not many of us. And um, if if those numbers keep growing in at the same uh, pace that they have been, some of us might get priced out. Well, here's here's the deal. I mean, obviously, eighty um, percent of the seating, if not more, in this expansion of the South End Zone is going to high end folks. 
Uh, it is it is club level seats. It is suite level. It is it is going to be the VIP experience. And so you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be bringing people in who are willing, whether it's businesses, you're just the wealthy themselves, willing to spend quite a bit for a, a great game day experience. And yes, to an extent, you could price things out, but not when it's currently at ninety eight percent and has been for what eight straight years. They're they're going to continue to raise prices because they can't. Now, if that takes a hit and it drops into 90 and the 80s, then they may re- start rethinking things. But as of right now, every nearly everybody that has season tickets each year renews whether there's an increase or not. So they're going to continue to take advantage of it unless there's some, uh, a real strong message sent by season ticket holders that say, I'm not doing this anymore. Well, and again, I, I don't want to be the grouchy old man that's just complaining about it because it, it's going to happen. We all know that. And next year in, in 2021, 20, 22, it's, it's going to happen. Um, so it will just be interesting to see what those increases are uh, going forward. And hopefully Utah continues to put on a product on the field that people want to see. Uh, because as much as I want to complain about the ticket increases, the atmosphere is phenomenal with all the sellouts. The team is playing at a high level, um, so it's definitely worth the investment in the entertainment aspect and, and what you get out of it. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, you know, back to my other point, I think that they're going to take full advantage of it as long as they possibly can. Now, if Whittingham retires and the team goes in the crapper for a few years, you know, then you're probably going to see a halt on any type of increases because they they're still going to want to fill the stadium first and foremost. But just like any business, they're, they're going to take advantage of everything they can so they can continue to, to bring in more money. And, and hopefully um, with that increased revenue that they're bringing in, it's going to go back to that game day experience and just create a, a better a better value and a better experience for everybody. So, you know, hopefully that's the goal. Um, there's obviously some folks that are not thrilled about it, but I think you're going to get that in any type of any type of venue. You're going to have those that are okay with it, and it's worth it, and those that you know are are, are not going to enjoy it, and they're going to kick and scream a little bit. But for everybody that kicks and screams, there's 12 people in line ready to take their tickets. So that's kind of the hard reality of it. All right, so I think that will do it uh, for this episode. Uh, and you know we're going to try to keep these ones a little bit shorter uh, than our ones that we get together and kind of do um, hit over an over an hour. I know there's a lot of people have just been asking for more content, uh, and so this, I think this is kind of the best way we can do it is we kind of jump on the phone and kind of just do a quick one together. Uh, so appreciate everyone hanging in there with us on this. Uh, Ryan, where where can people find you on Twitter? Pat Drum and Feather. Drum the letter M Feather. And Scott. Yeah, you can uh, find me at Uteman underscore forever. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Utah Man Podcast. And you can always catch our episodes at our home at utahmanpodcast.com and as well as your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. And hopefully Utah can get some much-needed wins as they travel up to Washington this week and continue towards a bye for the Las Vegas first round. And go Utes! Go you. Go you. Well, good. Let's cut it. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. Yeah, it's got uh, Morley. That was, that, was a, that was a joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did. He did hit those three threes. Apparently not a very good one because neither of you got it. <laughs> 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 That's staying in. <laughs>